0: to the one we we know that they are in the presence of God because of their profession of faith and what Christ has done for them. So I ask you this morning as we as we once again focus on the truth of the gospel. Has it ever become more true for you than when you're staring in the eyes of a person who doesn't know that it's true? When you're looking at someone and you have this tension in your heart and and you know you know what they need and you know that you've come to faith but you're you're in this moment and you're you're feeling what am I supposed to say there comes a time when the gospel motivation of which we talk about just needs to be the gospel spoken in words from your lips into the ears of others. and I want to encourage you this morning you can do it So oftentimes we' we're, we're, we're told we need to be evangelistic and we're immediately putting ourselves in the position of but that's not me, woe is me I'm, I'm no good, I'm not a good Christian I don't no no no. Let me just encourage you this morning. If you understand the gospel, you are able to speak about it into the lives of others. All you have to do is celebrate what God has done in you through Christ. Just put it to words. So I'll just use that to segue into into this question as we move our way towards Galatians. What is so important to you that you can't keep silent about it? We desire it to be the gospel. We desire it to be that thing that we're talking to. Some people are just gifted to talk about the gospel. Don't you agree? I mean, there are, I, I, E. Robert Jordan was a man who uh, was instrumental in, in uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Lansdale, Pennsylvania of starting it. I think he had a sixth grade education, uh, went into the Navy, uh, was, ultimately got saved uh, through God's working in his life and and ended up uh, pastoring a church for many years, starting a seminary, starting a school, starting a camp, doing all this stuff. But you know what he did on his honeymoon? He told all the seminary students, don't do this. He went out door-to-door witnessing on his honeymoon. All right? He was gifted to talk to people about the gospel. He had the boldness. He had the, the passion. Uh, and, he, and he shared it to all us young seminary students. Now, don't do what I did, but this is what I did. Yeah, I mean, and he led people to the Lord. He wasn't sorry that that took place. So he was the type of person that we can say, what's so important that you can't keep silent about it? He would say to the gospel, what would you say? And this is, again, I'm not, it's not a guilt trip. There are things in our life that we're passionate about. What is it? It may be sports. It may be uh, mechanics. All right, how many of you are excited about working on your car or your truck? good, there's more of us than them, all right? Because I do not like doing that stuff, right? I'm not wired. My son loves to do that stuff. He's passionate about it. My brother's passionate about it. I don't know the first thing about it. I'm just saying there are things in our life that where there's something inside us, and it just has to come forth. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's some passage of scripture. Maybe it's, but there's something, and you know you've been in this situation, or, or you will be at some point in time, when you know there's this pressure inside you that needs to come out and you will let me ask you this slightly differently who is so important to you that you can't keep silent about something for me it was often my children i love my children and if i saw something taking place in their life I, i'd sit there and be like okay lord you must be going you're gonna teach them something through this let me hold my tongue let me hold my tongue i can't don't do that don't, don't, don't go there. Don't think that. Don't, you know, and, I'll, and I'll say, I think it's so important. I got to tell you for your good. I have learned in later years, especially when I become adults, to not speak and let God do what God's going to do. And, and, uh, but I do that because who is so important, right? It's God is. And so as we go through this text, I want you to understand this is This is some of what the tension that's going on, I think, as Paul's writing to the Galatians. So for Paul, the what is the gospel. What's so important that you have to talk about it, that you can't keep silent? It was the gospel. And who is so important that you can't keep silent? For Paul, it was God. He was sold out to the gospel. He was sold out to God. And so as we go into this, this study in the book of Galatians... Uh, it was real easy to title this series because I, I came across this graphic and I'm like, perfect. No need to search anymore. There is no other gospel than the gospel that is taught to us in Scripture, explained to in all the details that are appropriate to us, and there's no, there's no other gospel. And Paul is not keeping silent as he's pouring forth what he believes he has to say to these believers in Galatia. Today, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 9, which was uh, Joe read for us earlier. And, and as, we, as we do this, I want us to look at eight attributes of the one true gospel. We're looking at eight attributes just in the first five verses. And what I would like to do is ask you, as Jamie already did, think about when you came to, to know the truth Make it real. But I'm asking you, if you understand these attributes, celebrate them in your life. Celebrate them in your heart right now. Praise God. This is a time of worship, folks. You're allowed to worship during the preaching, all right? It's actually very encouraged for you to do that. Worship God as we go through these eight attributes of the one true gospel. Paul is basically, he's unburdening his heart. We know that to be true. But as as he's speaking, he is, he is touching on things in these first five verses that he's gonna he's gonna continue to talk about through the six chapters. It's not a very long book. It's a letter, it's a short letter, relatively short letter, that Paul is writing. And so I, as Paul was celebrating the truth of the gospel in his way, I'm asking you to celebrate him these attributes as we go in. He says, beginning uh, here in the text, Paul, an apostle, uh, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the church of Galatia. It's a, it's, it, when you're reading the New Testament epistles, the letters, you're used to this kind of uh, 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 opening, but let's kind of look at it in shorthand. All right? Paul, an apostle... And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. We understand how letters work. We go, dear so-and-so, and and we sign it, love, sincerely, whatever it might be, and then we put our name. So we put our name at the end and the the recipients at the beginning. Paul, in his letters, he does it differently. He says, this is me. I'm Paul. In this case, he says, I'm an apostle. But he's not alone. He has a group of people with him. They're called the brethren. They're fellow Christians. They travel with him. They are with him at the the point where he's writing this letter. And what we see is there's solidarity, there's unity. And he says, and all the brethren who are with me. And then he he identifies the recipients to the churches of Galatia. It wasn't just to one church. This was a a letter that was going to circulate through the churches of Galatia. There was a problem in the area. There were people going around to these different churches, and they were causing problems. And Paul felt the need to address those problems. So this is kind of, just so you know, this is the way most letters start. This is the way most of Paul's letters start. But he throws this parenthetical thought right in the beginning. Can you, can you sense Paul? He's writing the Galatians, and he knows what he needs to confront them with. He knows what he needs to talk about, and he can't hold himself back. And he just says, listen, there's some aspect of his apostleship that's been called into question. And he needs to get it out there right in the beginning. Paul, an apostle, notice this, not from men. Sorry, I should explain. Possible, apostle is the idea of a messenger. We're used to that. The term messenger is, is uh, something that we even have today. There's messaging services. Not everything is, is through the Internet. There's actually people that ride bikes in the cities and deliver things, and, and they're, uh, they're hired for the task. They are equipped for the task, and they accomplish the task, and, and they're a messenger. Paul is a messenger. He's an apostle. He's one who, who actually saw and, and interacted with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We know his testimony of getting knocked off that animal, right? Right? Falling to the ground and meeting Jesus for the first time. Jesus then commissioned him to serve. And part of his service was to be an apostle, a messenger to the Gentiles. And so we see Paul, he's identifying, I'm an apostle. But let me clarify something for you, Galatians. I'm an apostle, but not from men nor through man. Notice the, the plural and the singular there. I'm not an apostle from men nor through a man. See, there were normal, there were, there were messengers that were sent all the time. And there may have been some confusion on who Paul, on who Paul was and what his commission looked like. Because, you know, there were people that, you know, Paul actually sent numerous times. He would send Titus and Timothy and, and Silvanus. He would, he would send these different people. And uh, is Titus and Silvanus the same? No. Silas and Sylvanus. There we go. He sends these people, and he would send them representing him to a group of people, maybe a church that he had planted, and he and he would send someone, and and they would be messengers of Paul to convey the message of Paul to these individuals. So there was, in a right sense, there were there were people who were messengers from men to a group of people or to an individual. Paul saying, "I'm not that kind of messenger." I'm not from men, nor through men. It would be kind of normal to think that maybe Paul, you know, if you didn't know his background, well, we know we've heard of Peter. Uh, we know there's this this church in Jerusalem. Well, maybe Paul was sent from them, from the church, or maybe from Peter himself. Paul says, "I'm not that kind of messenger. I am an apostle." It's not capital A in the English there, but he's saying. He is a messenger from God. So so we see here, it was common for messengers to be appointed by other men. Paul's not that. Apostles were unique because they were appointed by God. And so as we think about these eight attributes of the gospel, uh, the the first one we're going to see is this idea. Let me go forward. For No other gospel has apostolic authority. Now let me go back a slide. I got ahead of myself. Here's a quote from, uh, from a, a scholar, and he says, Not from a human source or through a human mediator does he claim the apostolic authority. The reason I use that quotation is, is simply to make, help us make this point. There's no other gospel that has apostolic authority. What authority does Paul have? None in and of himself. It's all because of who commissioned him. It's, but listen, he does have apostolic authority. His words matter. His words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, matter. They apply to the Galatians. They apply to us. We really ought to pay attention as we go through this book of Galatians and see what does God have for us, because no other gospel has aspo- us uh, apostolic authority. Because no other gospel has divine origin. This is the second attribute of our gospel. It's apostolic authority. There is no other gospel that can claim apostolic authority. There's no other gospel that can claim Peter and Paul and all the apostles. And he, they, they, they cannot lay claim to having them as witnesses to their gospel because only the one gospel has apostolic authority. And the only reason it has it is because there's no other gospel that has divine origin. And Paul pointed to that in this parenthetical thought. He says, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's saying, my gospel, my message, comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. But don't... Someone could come to this text as an unbeliever and and misunderstand this. It came through the man, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. That's not what it says. It says but through Jesus Christ and God the Father equating them together. We have a gospel that is divine in origin and that divinity is to the Father and to the Son. And although it's not referenced here, we know it was mediated through the Holy Spirit to those who wrote it. So this is something to celebrate. When's the last time you celebrated the divine or, or origin, origination of the gospel? Well, you ought to celebrate it today while we're sitting in the air midst and understand that our gospel is so true. It is so anchored in, in who God is that we can say, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. As we go into the next attribute, no other gospel has a suffering Savior. Remember, there's eight of them, so i got to move a little quickly here. But listen, no other gospel has a suffering Savior. Now, you might think of some other gospels that recognize the death of Jesus Christ as being important. But as you consider the false gospels that are out there, they're going to be wrong in one of two areas. They're going to be wrong in the person of God, in the person of Jesus as God's son, or they're going to be deficient in the work of Christ, in his work on the cross. And so there are many false gospels, false religions, false teachers that are wrong in this point. They'll say that Jesus suffered, but they won't explain it the way the Bible explains it. And they will add or subtract something from the gospel. So no other genuine gospel has a suffering savior as described in scripture. This is essential because as we look at the text, it says, who raised him from the dead. For Jesus to have died, for God to raise Jesus from the dead, Jesus had to die. And that's a stumbling block. It was a stumbling block in Paul's day. It's a stumbling block in our day. How do you worship a God who, who weakened himself to become a man and then honestly died? How do you worship a God who died? They don't understand the gospel yet, and we need to meet them in their need We need to meet them at their obstacle, and we need to talk with them and love them and help them overcome that obstacle by understanding that He was raised from the dead. The Father raised the Son who died. It's important that He died. We'll talk about it in a minute, but it's important that He suffered. This suffering, if Jesus did not suffer on that cross, if He did not die on that cross, what does Paul say elsewhere? We are men, and I'm going to add women and children, most miserable because we are still dead in our trespasses and sin. The curse of sin still lays upon us. We are still destined for an eternity apart from God, which we call hell. The perfect, the place of perfect wrath of God. Heaven, I think we could describe as the perfect expression of love and unity with with God. Hell the perfect expression of wrath and separation. It's important that Jesus suffered and that God raised him from the dead. Because without that part of the gospel, we have no gospel. We have a false gospel. And there are those organizations that will call themselves Christian and, and we will say, no, you're wrong, because they will, they will talk about a suffering Savior, but he suffered in the garden He didn't need to die on the cross. There's a a religion that teaches that. That's a false gospel. No other gospel is anchored in grace, which provides peace. Look at these words of Paul. Grace to you and peace from God. This is Paul pouring out his heart to the Galatians. He's saying, listen, I love you. We know this is a letter, but please understand, Paul and all the brethren, we agree in this grace to you and peace from God. This is not a simple hello. This is not a simple, hey, thinking about you. You know, we'll write that. Dear Christine, haven't been able to get you off my mind. Right? Very loving and very appropriate. That's not Paul. Paul's not being sentimental. He's being, he's not just being kind, although he's being kind and he's being loving. But what we see here is he's, he's already starting to draw their attention to the gospel. Grace to you. Galatians, please understand that the one true gospel, the no other gospel is anchored in grace. And he says here, grace to you. That grace that it belongs from the, of the Father belongs to the Father and he bestows upon mankind through his son. He says grace to you and peace from God. All right? This isn't Paul's grace or Paul's peace. He's saying this is God's grace and God's peace from God to you. He's he's drawing them in. He's got this burden and he's saying they're deficient in some understanding of the gospel. So let's understand no other gospel is anchored in grace the god's unmerited favor, his willingness to give each of us what we do not deserve. amazing grace, right We sang it yesterday at the at the funeral. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. It saved me right I was once was lost, but now I'm found. i 'm found was blind, but now I see beautiful lyrics there are lyrics that are are. are they were coming forth from the, the from the author of that song. They were pointing. He had to say something. He was overwhelmed by the grace of God and it had to come out. And we have honored that song because that song honors Scripture, and we saying there's no other gospel that's anchored in grace. If you are trying to please God through your works, through your good attitudes, through your kind deeds, and somehow you think that's going to win God's favor, you don't understand grace yet. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, and you cannot earn it. It is a free gift He gives to each each person who confesses their sins and acknowledges that Jesus Christ paid the debt for their sins on the cross and resurrected on the third day, showing He has power over sin and death. That's why we say there's life in Christ. No other gospel teaches that. There's all kinds of false gospels that leave Jesus in the grave There's false gospels that say there's grace, but you also have to do some work. That's the gospel that I was raised under. The false gospel that I was raised under was the idea that Jesus died to open the, he paid for original sin and the gates of heaven were open, but then I have to live a good life to walk through those gates. It's a false gospel. It adds something to grace. If you add anything to grace, you no longer have the gospel of the Bible. And I believed it for years. It was, it was, in a sense, I learned a lot about different things, but I never it never clicked that grace needed to be applied to my sin. And once grace is applied to your sin, there is no sin anymore, only righteousness. It's been atoned for. Jesus Christ paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. That's the grace that you receive when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's free gift. And that's why we know we have eternal life. Because if He's forgiven us of all of our sins. We don't deserve it, but He's given it to us. No other gospel is anchored in grace, and it provides peace. What is that peace? It's that peace between God and man. That peace between God and me. That peace between God and you. You are no longer going to experience the wrath of God. Because in the book of Romans it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who have received his grace. Right? There's no condemnation. We are at peace with God, never to experience the wrath of God, ever. That's the good news of the gospel, and that is what we need to celebrate. So as we go through these, we have to understand each aspect of this. We're only in verse 3. And we've already encompassed so many attributes of the gospel that we can celebrate. But let's go to another one. No other gospel has a substitutionary Savior. We've already hit on this. But Paul says very clearly, Listen, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. It was a willing, a free, willing offering that Jesus did on that cross. He went there out of his own volition, out of his own will, he went to that cross. He didn't fight it. He went there to be the substitute for you and me on that cross. It's a basic teaching of the gospel, but it's it's here, and it's something to be celebrated because if Jesus didn't suffer, we would never experience the grace and peace of God. If he did not willingly go and pay and give himself for our sins, plural. Oftentimes, Paul just uses a singular sin as encompassing. Here, he actually uses the word plural. It's all of our sins. David was guilty of adultery and murder. Paul was guilty of betraying people and sending them to jail and and condoning the death of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. Peter denied Christ People are all kinds of wickedness was going on. People were sitting all over the place. But when they met Jesus and they came to faith in who he was, Jesus forgives sin. That's why we come here week after week. That's why we come here during during the week. Jesus forgives sin. Why? Because he gave himself. He became the payment for the curse of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So he gave himself for our sins. That's to be celebrated. No other gospel has a Savior who rescues completely. Look at this. He says that he might deliver us. That word deliver could be uh, translated rescue. That he might deliver us from this present evil age. I'm going to define present evil age, and I'm going to go back to the idea of deliver. What's this present, present evil age? All kinds of people talk about it. I'm going to say it's the time from Jesus' resurrection to his return. Paul was living in it. The Galatians were living in it. We're living in it. This present evil age is the context of which in, in which we live. But it says that Jesus might deliver us from, that word might, is because the word is in the subjunctive. If you understand your grammar, it, it's at other translations uh, leave the doubtfulness out of it. It's not that; it, it's just the word "might." It's just saying it's in the subjunctive. That's all it is. It's not really calling into question. Paul is saying that he delivers us. He did that. Now he's not delivering everybody against their will. So maybe that's where the might is coming in. But he's saying, "Listen, when Jesus gave Himself for our sin, those who come to faith are delivered." Are rescued. Can you celebrate that in your life as as a gospel believing Christian this morning? I want you to uh, envision this: you're on a boat, you're on a whitewater rafting trip. How's that, right? And uh, and you fall into the water. I told you I got thrown out recently, right? Well, not recently. I told you recently that I got thrown out. I don't go whitewater rafting anymore. Um, uh, I tend to almost drown. Um, So and and you fall in the water. So you're on a trip. You fall in the water and you're looking just like they tell you to look, and they throw you the buoy, right? And you catch it, and they drag you into the boat, and you're so thankful you're rescued. And then they just kick you back in. Wow, that stinks. That's not the gospel. Think about that for a minute. That he might deliver us. It's done. It's not I confess my sins. I've been brought back into the boat. Oh, I sinned. Get back in the water. Oh, I repent. I get back in the boat. I sin again. Get back in the water. That's not the way the gospel works. That he dies for our sins, that he might deliver us. It's a done deal from this present evil age. We live in this world, as we're fond of saying, we are just, uh, we're strangers. We, we, we are just uh, passing through, right? We say, listen, we live in a tough age. So did Paul. So did the Galatians. Life is hard. We need to know that when we come to faith, once delivered to the saints, right, that we are delivered once and for all from this present evil age. Peter tells us there's, a, there's an inheritance waiting for us. It's being held for us. It's something to be celebrated for sure. You're in the boat. You'll never be cast out. No other gospel has a Savior who obeys perfectly. Now, we're used to uh, attributing uh, perfection to Jesus Christ, but it's actually important for the gospel that he is this way. All right? So we see... Let me give you a chance to actually read that. All right? So no other gospel has a Savior who obeys perfectly. Paul says, According to the will of God and Father, of our God and Father, Jesus went volitionally out of his own free will to that cross to pay for his sins. But it was initiated, the plan was initiated by God, his Father. They are united in this gospel that we believe in. And we need to celebrate the free will offering of the Son, but we need to uh, celebrate the will of God that created this plan of salvation to begin with. It is something that we can take confidence in that our Savior obeyed perfectly. If He didn't obey perfectly the plan of God, there would be a deficiency in the gospel because there would be a deficiency in the Savior. If He didn't live perfectly, if He didn't live perfectly, if there was anything out of order, anything that was substandard, He would have failed to fulfill the law of God and he would have had to hung on that cross for his own sin and not for ours. But he obeyed perfectly, and we can celebrate that because he never sinned. He hung on that cross, and he paid our debt of sin. Lastly, we see no other gospel glorifies God. You will have people in your life that will say, well, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I believe the gospel. And as they start talking, as you're listening to them, you're like, something's just not Right with their version of the gospel. And you need to call them back to the gospel that we find in Scripture that has all of these attributes true of it. And I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, but I will say this this is enough for Paul to get the message across to the Galatians. It's enough for us to get the message as well, because this is the gospel and the only gospel that actually glorifies God. People can give lip service to God. But if they have failed to believe in the one and only true gospel, they have rejected God's Son, and therefore they will spend eternity apart from God. So that it's wonderful that we can look at this. There's a text, to whom glory forever and ever, and that's, that's beautiful. We, we worship an, an eternal God. All right? But let's talk about three warnings for those who have already believed the true gospel. That would be us, right, for many of us most of us in the room. Three warnings for us who have already believed the true gospel. Now, I'm going to—this is more engaging with the text. We're going to probably revisit this text because it's a pretty powerful text. But I didn't want to skip over verses 1 through 5. There's too much there for us to celebrate. So let's just look at these three warnings, and, and then we'll— uh, then we'll leave this place hopefully challenged. So the one true gospel is a gospel of grace. We've already explained that. It's free. You don't have to earn it. God gives it to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So don't believe in a counterfeit which adds something or takes something away from the true gospel. Don't don't believe it. This is a message to Christians Part of my testimony, as I came to faith and as I was a legitimate believer, but I was immature, I met a guy at work. He read his Bible, he had Bible studies. He invited me to, to their fellowship, and I went. And you know, I've told you some of you the story before. It wasn't until Christine was meeting with another group of people. We were engaged. I'm in Cranston, Rhode Island. She's in Lexington, Massachusetts, and, and, and she's having, and she's further ahead in the Bible study than my group is. And they inform her that she needs to be baptized in their church in order to have salvation. I'm thankful that she was more more mature in the faith than me. She calls me up, Greg, they just told me something I know is not true. And I'm like, let's run away. Let's get away from these people. And I was still nice to the guy at work. We were still friends. But I was like, nope, can't do it anymore. Don't believe in a counterfeit this, I, was, I was already a Christian, but I was being led astray. I think there are immature Christians out there who have swallowed some of the lie and are walking in life that they, just, they don't know what to do with. They have the Spirit inside them, and the Spirit's trying to, it's ch- trying to do something in them to, to come out, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're being tricked. They're being drawn away. They're, you know, I'm not saying they're losing their salvation, but I'm saying we have to believe that there's a danger And that we can actually be involved in a counterfeit gospel. There are many forms of counterfeit gospel. Let me just share one. I didn't do this for first service. But if we have a gospel that says you're free and we add some sort of bondage onto that freedom, it kind of goes in hand in hand with what we said last week. Gospel doctrine plus anti-gospel culture denies the gospel. That's a false gospel, Right? You can't. It's got to be true. So the one true gospel is the gospel of grace. Don't believe in a counterfeit. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, right? So I should have looked at this earlier, but let me just... This is where Paul's letter differs from every other letter he writes in the New Testament. Paul to the recipient's grace and peace. I'm praying for you, brothers and sisters. I remember you daily. He doesn't say that to the Galatians. He skips right over the prayer of thanksgiving, which is present in every other one of the letters. And this is what slaps you in the face. Paul has this burden in on his heart. He's saying, I've got to say what's got to get said. And Galatians, you need to hear it. I marvel. I'm amazed. I'm confounded. I can't believe that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. You know the gospel. You've believed the gospel. What is it that I hear you, churches of Galatia, that you're, you're following people who are adding things to the gospel? Paul's amazed. And he's calling them to account. And he says, don't believe in the counterfeit. They're adding something, and we'll see what that's being added as we go through the text. But he says these people are adding stuff, and it says it's a different gospel. Then he clarifies, which is not another. There is only one true gospel. But there are false gospels all around. Second warning. The one true gospel is a God-revealed gospel. So don't follow those who pervert it. They all go hand in hand. This all goes hand in hand, right? Who's perverting it? Well, he says, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. I want you to understand there's a scary thing going on in this this verse. Actually kind of freaks me out. There are some who trouble you. Some people will trouble for intentionality, right? They'll come in and They just enjoy causing problems, right? So that may be the kind of trouble that's being talked about. But notice what it says there. Those who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Some people, they are perverting the gospel of Christ because they think they're doing you a favor. That's what wigs me out. They think that you're deficient in some understanding and they're bringing some additional truth to you. They think they are expressing love to you. I have family that has tried to do this to me. They have a perversion of the gospel. Jesus Christ is not the son of God. Excuse me, he's not the only son of God. Lucifer is also a son of God. Jesus Christ didn't just, he didn't die on the cross for the sins. He he sweat great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. He didn't need to die on that cross. Theirs is the gospel that will lead us to the the third point. The one true gospel is preached so sinners can be saved by grace. That's the gospel I believed in. That's the gospel we have believed in. That's not the gospel many of the people I know and love have believed in. Notice what Paul says here. Well, actually, be warned first that those who preach a false gospel will experience eternal damnation. It's not an if. This is a statement. Notice this. This is amazing. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Anathema. May the curse of sin fall upon those people. The curse that grace has rectified in us. He's saying if anybody's going to preach a false gospel, maybe it's us. Paul is entertaining the idea that somehow even he could walk away from the truth. If it, if it were possible, he said, I could, if it was possible, I could walk away. And I actually told you something different. Don't believe me. Or if an angel from heaven, I have loved ones who believe that an angel from heaven came and revealed new information to a man named Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith transcribed everything and then the angel took the plates back up with him into heaven. So there's no record, no evidence, nothing. All we have are the words recorded, supposedly recorded by Joseph Smith that promote a gospel that is different than the gospel that Paul has preached to the Galatians that we have had preached to us through Scripture. They have added not only different teachings, but they have added more Books that they call scripture. Paul says, No. Anyone who preaches a false gospel will experience eternal damnation. Because they are preaching another Jesus. They are preaching another gospel. That that is not good news. They are they have they are sheep. They they are wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, Let him be accursed, anathema. It's that, that, and he goes on. If if we didn't need more emphasis, he says in verse 9, as we have said before, probably in their presence, but certainly in the previous verse, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul used this word, and he said, if it were possible, may I be accursed, for the sake of my brethren. He's saying, my, I, I desire that my fellow Jews come to faith in the gospel, and if it were possible for them to be saved, if I could be a curse, He says, it's not possible, because you're already a sa- He's He knows he's already a believer. But he's saying he has such passion for his Jewish brethren, that if it were possible, he would be willing to do it for them to get saved. He's saying here, anyone that will preach differently. Folks, We have a gospel that is like no other, and the stakes are high. So as we think about this question, what is so important to you that you can't keep silent about it? Of course we want that to be the gospel, right? You knew that from the very beginning. I wasn't trying to trick you into that. This is, we want that, do we not? And we want to be a church that says, what's so important that you can't keep silent about it? We want to be a church that talks about sin. Because that discussion about sin gets us to talk about our Savior. And if we talk about our Savior, we get to talk about new life in Christ and eternity with God. It's good news. So this is what we desire to be, and I know you desire to be it. Who is so important to you? that you can't keep silent about something. We know the answer is God. God is important to us. So for Paul, we know it was about the gospel and about God. But for us, for us, the what that we can't be silent about is the gospel. And the who that we can't be silent for, because he's given us a message, is God. And so the challenge before us today is, let's not be silent. Now, it's my job as a preacher to preach what what God's Word says, and certainly you pay me to do that, so it's kind of that, it's not only a commission from God, it's a commission from you. And you know, I fail at that commission sometimes. I see people who... need the gospel and somehow my my tongue is tied and i don't speak the words but other times i do and you're the same way there's people sometimes you 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 just don't say it and other times you do it's an abiding struggle that we must own inside and we need to nourish our motivation for the gospel by understanding what the gospel is It is God's love shown to us by his perfect son, shedding his life for our sins, not his own. And all those who come to faith in him, all those who call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I hope it's happened to you. If it hasn't, please come talk to me or talk to someone in this room. Ask the questions. So that you can you can also have new life, and you can celebrate all these attributes of the gospel, and you can obey the warnings as well. Let's pray, Father. We.